0: section eight of the morality of marriage and other essays on the status and destiny of woman this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. read by stephanie m the morality of marriage and other essays on the status and destiny of woman by mona Kerd. Section 8, The Morality of Marriage, Part 1, Motherhood Under Conditions of Dependence. Quote, Before being a wife or mother, one is a human being, and neither motherly nor wifely destination can overbalance or replace the human, but must become its means, not end. As above the poet, the painter, or the hero, so above the mother does the human being rise preeminent. End quote. John Paul Richter. If it were not for the children, I would take a dose of chloroform tomorrow. These are the words of the wife of a well-to-do tradesman who, after 12 years of marriage, finds life a burden too heavy to be borne. After much theory, a little fact, hot from the lips of a simple-minded woman, without theories, but with plenty of experience, comes with a force that is somewhat startling. The woman recognized gratefully, her worldly prosperity. There was nothing fretful about her complaints. One pitied her most when she made some unconscious admission, let fall some pathetic, patient little word, which revealed how little she asked and how much she was ready to endure. Her husband is a good fellow with an uncertain temper. He is capricious and imprudent, and the success of the business depends on his wife who works at it unremittently, sending her husband and children away for a holiday now and then, while she remains to look after the customers. The wife's industry has made the business flourish, though her husband frequently declares his intention of selling it, in spite of her remonstrance, and in this contest he has finally prevailed, having control of the purse strings. The work and the anxiety during the years when the business had to be made were very severe, and during that time this woman bore six children. If it were not for them, she would take a dose of chloroform tomorrow. Pain, weariness, broken rest, hard work, anxiety, these have been her unceasing portion. She declares that she would infinitely prefer death to having more children, thus unconsciously echoing the sentiment of Medea of old i would rather thrice stand in arms than once suffer the pangs of childbirth she is a wounded creature with a spoilt and shortened youth broken nerves and with little to look forward to but further toil footnote the common contention that the woman is abnormally weak who suffers in this way is not borne out in this case she began life in perfect health and buoyant spirits the marvel is that any creature born of woman can so begin it whatever may be her feelings she has to appear cheerful for her husband hates to see her ailing and she always does her utmost to please him at her worst miseries he laughs what is so common he feels cannot be very severe she knows that she is wholly dependent on this man that though she works hard for her living she is without a penny in the world that she can call her own with or without cause she lives in a state of incessant dread that he may tire of her, as he did of his business, and leave her and the children penniless. Probably, her fears are groundless, but that they are even possible marks her dependent state. Her anxiety makes her overwatchful and suspicious. She is miserable if he stays out an hour later than usual. She is jealous and in perpetual fear of his being led away by other women. Thus, her fears help to bring about their own fulfillment for this conduct is naturally very irritating to the husband perhaps there would be less unhappiness if the woman ceased to feel the injustice of her lot but if she did so she would sink in the scale of humanity she would lose her self-respect at present she feels it keenly is it fair she asks that she should be claimed body and soul for a lifetime that she should work hard and suffer severely without earning so much as a bare subsistence were she not the man's wife he would pay her a salary for far less toil and she would be a free agent into the bargain she seems vaguely to hanker after the cook's place in her own establishment it is not a little remarkable that the present position of the married woman corresponds in outward features with that of a slave in early ages in an article in an old number of the quarterly review december eighteen twenty three the beginnings of the institution of slavery are traced to the custom of retaining prisoners of war as bondsmen instead of killing them in accordance with the older usage when agriculture was in its infancy Quote, in an early state of society says the writer an agreement to serve is understood to be for life and as the equivalent given maintenance forms apparently a slight sacrifice on the part of the master it seems equitable to purchase such service by a payment to the parent or whoever has defrayed the expenses of infancy and education in return for maintenance and the sum paid for his possession the bondsman surrenders himself with all his service for life and gives up his liberty he may be well treated well lodged and fed but his toil brings with it no right to self-direction or hope of respite should the conditions of his lot prove painful this constitutes the real difference between freedom and slavery to be maintained however luxuriously without earning anything over which there is undisputed control is to be in so far in the position of a slave other conditions may indeed be very unlike those of servitude but such a situation presents its essential features it will be seen that the married woman is exactly in this position inasmuch as her work in the home does not procure her independence she is the working partner in a firm in whose profits she has no share her share is only in the labor yet her husband imagines that he is supporting her whence has arisen among good men the state of conscience which approves this injustice many changes must take place before it can be entirely removed but it is important to recognize the wrong and to seek to eradicate the false ideas on which it rests were it possible for a wife to leave her husband without penalty if the worst came to the worst that worst in nine cases out of ten would never come one seldom hears of very bad cases of ill-treatment when a woman has private means under her own control wives who have begun their married life without such means and acquired them afterwards notice that a marked difference is discernible in the husband's attitude towards them it is the unconscious recognition of the new status footnote in one singular case of this kind the relations between the couple had been happy and friendly from the beginning and the wife thought she was far from having anything to complain of yet even she noticed a startling change of attitude after she became the possessor of a small income which gave her a position of independence Footnote: dependence in short is the curse of our marriages of our homes and of our children who are born of women who are not free not free even to refuse to bear them it would be interesting though probably not a little painful if we could learn what proportion of children enter the world whose mothers are perfectly willing and able to bear them willing in a strict sense apart from all considerations of duty or fear of harboring unsanctioned feelings a true answer to this question would shake down many brave edifices of sentiment which are now flying holiday flags from their battlements. Nervous exhaustion and many painful forms of ill health among women are appallingly common, and people try to find roundabout explanations for the fact. Do we need explanations? The gardener takes care that his very peach trees and rose bushes shall not be weakened by overproduction, though to produce is their sole mission valuable animals are spared the same way for the same reason it is only women for whom there is no mercy in them the faculties are discouraged which lead away from the domestic sphere the whole nature is subjected to hot-house cultivation in such a manner as to drive all the vital forces in one sole direction such treatment means overwrought nerves overstimulated instincts weakened constitution a low intellectual development or if otherwise a development which is apt to be acquired under the present unfavorable conditions at the cost of farther physical suffering and when this last calamity does take place there is a general outcry against mental cultivation for women even men of science who might be expected to see a little further than their noses join in the foolish chorus women will ruin their constitutions by intellectual efforts this misdirection of nervous energy creates innumerable miseries and some of them seem to have become chronic or hereditary and from being so common have lost the very name of disease yet with these facts before them people still dare to infer from the present condition of women their eternal limitations of function they still fail to see that to found a theory of society upon hereditary adaptations which they now find in a long enslaved and abused race is to found a theory of nature upon artificial and diseased development the nervous strain which the civilized woman endures is truly appalling the savage to whom the infinite anxieties of modern life are unknown has also the advantage of a far less severe tax on her strength as regards her maternal functions nature appears to be kind to her primitive children their families rarely exceed two or three in number and the task of bearing and rearing cannot be compared for severity to that of the civilized mother it is a well-known fact that a more protected well-fed complex life causes the race to become more prolific thus simultaneously increasing the demands on the nervous energy from every side people are beginning to feel the danger of all this but how do they propose to meet it by trying to hold women back from the full possession of life by bidding them for heaven's sake keep solely to their maternal functions one half of the race in short is to be rescued at the expense of the other strange as it may appear men of science have advocated this singular method of averting the danger of race degeneration women who already are crippled in body and mind by excessive performance of the duties of maternity are to plunge yet further in the same disastrous direction to cut off all chance of relief all hope of the overtaxed system righting itself by more general distribution of energy the longing so striking among the present generation for a more healthily balanced life, must be sternly checked. Do we not see that the mother of half a dozen children who struggles to cultivate her faculties nearly always breaks down under the burden? This naturally scares the scientific imagination and the decree goes forth. Cease this unwomanly effort to be human. Confine yourself to the useful animal office which nature ordains for you. Consider the welfare of the race it is forgotten that this very council has been dinned into feminine ears for endless generations and that the council has brought them and their descendants little but wrong and misery it is a hideous ideal that we have set up for our women and the world is wretched because they have followed it too faithfully an interval now of keener suffering if it must be on the way to freedom would be a kinder potion for this sick world than another century of womanly duty and virtue in the old pitiful sense of these terms. Happily, there is no necessity to pass through such a terrible ordeal. The Anglo-Saxon race is not naturally addicted to ideas, but it prefers them, if the worst comes to the worst, to revolutionary changes. It is the women of the race who are now presenting the remedial ideas which taste so bitter to their generation although much suffering is caused by the present attempt to do the old duties more perfectly than before while adding to them a vast number of fresh responsibilities yet the result in the long run promises to be the creation of a new balance of power of many varieties of feminine character and aptitude and through the consequent influx of new activities a social revolution reaching in its results almost beyond the regions of prophecy. End of section eight.